Well, good morning again. Uh, wow, got lots of power in the mic. That's good. My name is Benjamin. I'm one of the pastor's elders here at the Mission Church. Um, normally on a Sunday morning, if you're a visitor, you uh, would see Pastor Rich up here. Not just if you're a visitor. Everybody would probably see Pastor Rich up here. Uh, he, he's on vacation with his family this week and has asked me to uh, preach a message this this morning. Uh, as you can see from the slide up here, my message is uh, going to be a little different uh, this morning. It's a warning message. It's a message of concern, of warning, uh, specifically regarding the prosperity gospel. Um, normally, uh, in, in the Mission Church, we do expository preaching. We're right now preaching through the book of Hebrews. And uh, this message will be a little bit different because it will be more of a polemical message. It will be uh, talking against a specific teaching that is corrupting the body of Christ today. Um, let's begin with prayer. If, if you have your Bibles, open to 1 Timothy chapter 6. That's where we'll be looking at our text for today. Uh, but let's begin with prayer. Father God, uh, I thank you for this opportunity to speak your word, to preach your word. Lord, would you please uh, anoint my lips with your spirit and, and give me the proper words to say. Um, help me to speak truth. And Lord, if I speak that anything that is not truth, would you allow it to fall to the ground and not be regarded. I thank you for your word, Lord. Um, bless this word in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul gives a warning to Timothy about false teachers. Uh, we're going to read verses 3 through 10. And if you're looking at your Bible and you think that's a lot of scripture to cover, remember, this is a little bit different kind of a sermon. I'm not going to go through this word by word. Otherwise, we'd be here till 10 tonight. But I guarantee I'll get you out of here by 4. So, <clears throat> uh, Starting in verse 3, or actually the latter half of verse 2, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness... He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and a constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I'm going to talk today about specifically the Word of Faith movement. 
Um, going to have four categories or four headlines, you might say, um, that we're going to go through. Number one, what is the Word of Faith movement? Number two, why is it dangerous? Number three, how to confront the Word of Faith teaching biblically? And number four, what is a biblical view of faith, health, and wealth? Um, so first, what is the Word of Faith movement? I want to give you an overview what it is, how to identify it, and then a brief history that helps us understand where these teachings come from. The Word of Faith is a worldwide movement that teaches that a believer can use faith to receive blessings by the words that they speak. Very simple word of faith, speaking by faith. Um, other terms it's known as the word of faith, word faith, faith formula, positive confession, health, wealth, and prosperity, name it and claim it gospel, and many more terms. The word of faith movement thrives off of using scripture out of context and twisting it to make it say something it was never meant to say. That's how they make inroads into Christianity because they're using the same Bible you and I are. Uh, a brief history, and the only reason, I, again, that I want to do a little bit of history of Word of Faith is it helps us understand the teachings that they promote. In the first half of the 20th century, early 1900s, um, even before that, the late 1800s, uh, there was a lot of weirdness going around in Christianity. Uh, a lot of faith healers, right? Traveling around, you probably see them in old movies. They come to your town and they uh, proclaim that they can heal you. Faith healers type stuff. Um, uh, and then there was also uh, this guy named Phineas Quimby who was... Um, he came up with this new idea called New Thought. Can somebody turn me down just a little bit? It's ringing really bad up here. Thank you. Uh, new Thought taught that there is divine in every person. Every person has some of the divine in them. And it taught that um, what you think and what you say becomes reality. Most of us know people who are still thinking these kind of things today. Um, a man named E.W. Kenyon came along in the, in the beginning of the 19th century then, or 20th century, sorry, 1900s, and he kind of combined this new thought stuff with Christianity. And he brought it over into Christianity. And he, he said, well, there's a little divine in everybody. Well, the Bible says that we're made in the likeness and image of God. So yeah, that seems right. And he, he started viewing the Bible through this new thought lens, it seems. It's really hard to pin down where his influences came from because he doesn't explicitly say, but that's, that's what it looks like happened. And behind him came a man that you may have heard of named Kenneth E. Hagin. And he studied the writings. That's what they did back then before Facebook and Internet. They studied writings. It's on paper. Um, he studied the writings of E.W. Kenyon, and 
he took everything just one step further, and he is known as the father of the Word of Faith movement. So he took everything that he had learned from E.W. Kenyon, and he read the Bible, if you will, with these big lenses on, and um, came up with Word of Faith movement. Now, uh, he would not say that he came up with it. In fact, he would say that God revealed it to him through 11 visions and special revelations meetings that he had with Jesus Christ himself personally. Does that sound like anything familiar here in Utah? Yeah, yeah, sounds really familiar. Special revelations, special visions from God himself. In fact, um, quoting Kenneth Hagin, he said this, the Lord himself taught me about prosperity. I never read it in a book. I got it directly from heaven. So uh, the prosperity teaching, according to Kenneth Hagin, came directly as a new revelation from heaven. Um, he advanced the divine in everyone doctrine from New Thought to uh, what is now known as the little God theology. Uh, he took an obscure verse, again, out of context from Psalm 82 uh, and, and misused it to say uh, what God says in Psalm 82, ye are little gods. And he says, we are all little gods. Um, he said that uh, the, every person at the root of his being is a spirit. You're, you're not flesh and soul. You're a spirit who has a soul and has a flesh. And, and it just so happens that God is spirit. So see, God and man are the same being, not the same being, the same substance, the same kind of thing. We're both spirit. And so he began to elevate man to God's status and bring God down to man's status. Um, Kenneth Hagin, with the help of his son, Kenneth Hagin Jr., started a school in Tulsa, Oklahoma called Rama Bible College. And this is uh, where they taught their word of faith theology and began to spread it throughout the world. Um, it is this college that I attended in the mid-90s, early 90s, after high school and after I went to carpentry school and decided carpentry wasn't for me. Um, that's a joke to those who know me. I'm still doing carpentry. <coughs> um, I went to this this Bible college, and I sat under Kenneth Hagin, the father of Word of Faith theology, for two years and learned everything I could from him. By the time that I got to school under Kenneth Hagin, he wasn't teaching explicitly the little God's doctrine anymore. He had got so much pushback from that, from people saying, no, that's heresy, that is awful, that is wrong. You, you can't say we are little gods. He was no longer teaching that. But all the doctrines that he taught and that came from that theology still existed and still continued. And so that's why I give you the history to see where these teachings came from and why it makes sense that they teach these things. I cannot count how many times, for instance, that I heard Kenneth Hagin say from the pulpit, you want to know what God looks like? Look at me. I was made in his image. He looks just like me. Yeah. 
He also said this, by being born again, the believer becomes as much, as the, as much an incarnation as Jesus of Nazareth. Again, equating us with God. One of their big teachings was that God, in Genesis 1, spoke things into existence. And based on that thought, that they're no longer saying we are little gods, they would say we should also like, be like God and speak things into existence. And this is where a lot of the health and wealth and prosperity gospel comes from. It's that I can speak and my body will listen and I can speak health into existence. I can speak my own healing into existence. I can speak prosperity into existence. Most of us don't run into people who fully understand and know all of the word of faith theology. They don't understand it comes from this doctrine of we are little gods. But most of us have run into someone who will say, I just gotta keep speaking positively. Things are gonna turn around. I just gotta say the right words. If, if, I, just, if I just think positive and stay positive, everything's gonna be okay. This is word of faith light. And this is uh, the word of faith teaching that has now spread like gangrene through the church, which is why we're addressing this today. It is, by many people's estimation, the fastest growing movement in Christianity is word of faith theology. We have successfully exported it to all, of, all countries around the world, almost all countries. Uh, I remember 20 years ago, people who were against the word of faith teaching saying, that'll never work in a third world country. You can't preach prosperity there. Oh, it works, it works great. Prosperity preachers will fly over there and they'll get hundreds of thousands of people that will come into a stadium and they'll tell them, if you just sow your biggest seed into my ministry, God is gonna bless you and prosper you financially and all these poor people give all their money. It works. And it's evil. Some of the modern teachers you probably have heard of today, Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Meyer, Joel Osteen, anyone on TBN, if you turn on the TV. These are the word of faith teachers of today. And they are spreading the false gospel of uh, prosperity and word of faith movement. Its teachings have seeped into every American denomination in some way or shape or form and they're corrupting Christianity all over the face of the earth. So, what are the specific beliefs of word of faith theology? How do you identify them? Uh, very simply, word of faith, I keep referring it to that because the best description. It has two basic concepts in it, word and faith, right? Um, to the word of faith person, I want, I'll do them in reverse order because that's how they would teach them. Faith is the big thing. Faith is uh, not just simply what you place your trust in, but faith is a force. It is a power that is governed by laws in the universe, just like Gravity is a power that is governed by laws. 
And if you learn how to use these laws and learn how to use this force of faith, you can accomplish everything. Because according to the word of faith teaching, even God submits to the laws of faith. So if you have faith, you can move God. That's their teaching in a nutshell. If you have enough faith, anything is possible. But contrary to this teaching, faith is not a force. Word of faith teaching makes faith very complex. There's a lot of rules and a lot of these laws that you have to understand and follow. And as long as I was in the word of faith movement, I tried so hard to get faith to work for me. And it was super complex. And realizing now today that faith is so simple. Oh, I love how simple faith is. Faith is just trust. Faith, just trust God. That's faith. I just trust him. Trust him. Super easy. I was taught in the word of faith movement that faith is a muscle that you need to build up and the more you use it, the stronger it gets. And the stronger it gets, the more you can do. Faith is not a muscle. The Bible says faith is a gift from God, Ephesians 2.8 and other passages. Faith is something we receive from God to believe in God. Jesus taught that if you have faith like a tiny mustard seed, it's enough. It's all you need. You don't need great faith. You don't need huge faith. You need that one little seed, mustard seed faith from God. And it's enough. That's what Jesus taught in Luke 17. The second part of word of faith is words. This, this great faith that you have is released by your words. That's the instrument that causes faith to work. So what you say when you believe it is what brings the power. So our words we speak have power. And they use verses like uh, life and death are in the power of the tongue. That's a verse in Proverbs. It's really there. You can check it out. They talk about how God spoke things into existence. So his words have power and how we're supposed to be like God. We're supposed to be Christ-like. and So we should speak things into existence. All these are subtle twistings of God's word. You see, our words are not powerful in the same way that God's words are powerful. Do I believe in the power of words? Absolutely. That's why I'm standing here using words to influence people who have ears. You see, words that humans speak are powerful when people hear those words and are influenced by them. That verse in Proverbs talks about life and death and the power of the tongue. I believe what it's saying is, for instance, if, if I go to court and I testify that this guy is a murderer, he can be put to death based on my words. Why? Because I spoke those words into the atmosphere and they killed him? No. Because people heard my words, understood them, and acted on them. That's the power of words. But the word of faith teaching takes words and power and puts them in this whole new category that's more like magic. Right? That I can, that I can speak some words into the atmosphere and they will go about having power and causing and creating things to happen in my life. In the Word of Faith movement, you're taught to to speak to your mountain. Have you ever heard this? Speak to your mountain. 
Don't talk to God about it. Talk to your mountain about your God. It's a famous saying. Don't talk to God about your mountain. Talk to your mountain about God. I don't remember who said it. Um, but that gets repeated over and over. So we were taught to speak to our checkbook, speak to our bank account, speak to our body, tell it to be healed, speak to sickness, tell it to leave, speak to Satan, tell him to leave. We were taught to speak to everything except God, essentially. Except the God who actually has the power to do any of those things. We were taught to speak to all these things that don't have ears and are totally unaffected by our words. I have sad news for you. The universe doesn't listen to you. It doesn't care what you say. Your checkbook doesn't care what you say to it. Your bank account will not grow by you speaking to it. And if you go out and get a job and do some work and get paid, your bank account will grow. That's how it works. And if, like me, you take that little plastic card and go buy donuts, your, credit, your bank account goes down. That's how that works. Speaking to things without ears does not accomplish anything. But this is the basis of the Word of Faith movement, that our words have this power outside of people that hear them. Just the power to create wealth by speaking it. If that were in fact true, then I would expect everyone to be wealthy and no one would need the Word of Faith movement anymore. But the biggest promise of the movement is that every believer is guaranteed health and wealth. And the whole idea is that you use these, these ideas of faith and your words to get for yourself health and wealth because that's what every good Christian wants. That's what every carnal person wants, health and wealth. And we all want to be healthy. And money's helpful, right? But if we look back at our verses, starting in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain, the Bible says. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world, but if we have food and clothing with these we will be content. These are verses that the Word of Faith movement does not teach on. Being content? No, they want you to want more money and want more of everything. More, 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 bigger house. And the bigger your house, the better your car, the more money in your bank account, the more God has blessed you, obviously. This is the same lie that goes all the way back to Job and Job's friends who are standing there telling him, look at your circumstances and that's what determines how you know whether or not God is blessing you. So, <clears throat> moving on, why is it dangerous? If, if this was just a, a laughable uh, bunch of doctrines that we could all just have a good laugh and move on, then I wouldn't be preaching this on a Sunday morning. But I believe this teaching is dangerous to Christians. That's why I'm bringing it before you today. It's dangerous because it has a very low view of God. It brings him down. You see, we are all 
little Christs in this view. We are all little gods. We're just like him. And Jesus becomes just an example that we're supposed to follow. Jesus becomes this picture of what it looks like to be a God in flesh, to be incarnate. And we're supposed to be like that. So if Jesus did miracles, we're supposed to do miracles. If Jesus walked on water, we're supposed to walk on water. Haven't seen anybody do that yet. If Jesus healed blind and deaf and lame people, we're supposed to. And that's where we get a lot of this wealth and health teaching. We're supposed to be like him. And it brings Christ, the God-man, down to Christ, the man like me. Ultimately, it makes God serve man. It makes false promises, promises you that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. These are promises that they cannot deliver on because they're a twisting of God's word. It also implies that when people are sick or in need, the problem is them. The problem is their lack of faith or sin in their life or they haven't given enough money. It's often the problem. I can't tell you how many people I've seen with chronic sickness that end up leaving the church because obviously under that teaching, God is not on their side and they have no favor. I I remember one specific lady who was uh, mute. She could not speak. She was born that way. had never spoken and my my church was bound and determined that they were going to get her healed and we had meetings every week week after week praying for hours over this woman and we were going to stand in faith and see her healed you know what ultimately happened? she left she left the health gospel, ironically, has no room for people who aren't perfection of health. <clears throat> Ultimately, the prosperity gospel and the word of faith movement shipwrecks people's faith because sooner or later, people get sick. People have hard times. This is part of life. Verse 9 and 10 in our text 1 Timothy 6 says this, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That is a very apt description of the Word of Faith movement. It allows and encourages people to hunger after wealth and to desire the things of the flesh. And when they do, when they pursue those things, they fall. They are plunged into ruin and destruction. Every teaching in the Word of Faith movement essentially involves sowing a seed. It's all tied to money. That's what funds the whole thing, right? If you want more money in your life, sow a seed into my ministry. Give to this servant of God and God will give back to you. 
And who gets rich in those situations? Always the preacher, right? If you want healing, just sow a seed. If, if you're not healed yet, sow a bigger seed. It just wasn't big enough. It's terrible and it takes advantage of people. And what ends up happening is many people end up wandering from the faith, leaving the faith. Those who are not uh, truly born again, I believe, when they hear the false gospel that is preached by the Word of Faith movement, uh, they believe it, they may look like Christians for a time, they may act like Christians for a time, and ultimately their faith is shipwrecked because they aren't getting the promises that they thought they should get, and they wander from the faith. And then, like any false gospel movement, people who are affected by it don't want anything to do with God anymore. And it hardens people toward God and toward the faith. I see this, and this is one of the reasons I am so thankful that God, for me and my family, saved us out of the Word of Faith movement without denying the faith. Um, when I was in the Word of Faith movement, I was led to believe that my wife's multiple miscarriages were my fault, not enough faith. That my girls being born early and suffering and being in the hospital and almost dying it was because I didn't have enough faith, because I didn't give enough money to the church, whatever the reason. Maybe there was sin in my life. These things were all our fault. My wife uh, getting diagnosed with a tumor uh, that we thought was cancerous at first. All these things were my fault for not enough faith. And when uh, we hit financial ruin, was not, it was my fault. I obviously hadn't given enough. I was told that you obviously haven't given enough to the church if you're in financial hardship. So I gave more. That really helped. I remember, I remember giving all the money in my bank account to a world-renowned preacher who had come to town and, was, and had me so convinced that if I would just give God was going to bless me a hundredfold in the next two weeks. I was convinced. And I emptied my checking account. I gave to this guy. Two weeks later, guess what happened? Electricity shut off. We didn't have money to pay the bill. No one hundredfold return. Didn't happen. Why didn't it happen? I didn't have enough faith. That's the reason you're given. So it's a vicious cycle of <clears throat> blaming yourself and then trying harder to make it work. But even worse, even worse, I think, were the times that life was good and my kids were healthy and my wife was healthy and my business was going well and we were prospering. And I would sit there and say, look at my faith at work. Me. I was the one I gave credit to, not God. Because if the word of faith teaching really works, 
You get the blame, but you also get the credit. And it's all on you because essentially you are the God of your own making. So how do we confront the word of faith teaching biblically? The first way, I have two ways uh, that I'm going to share. There are lots of ways. Um, We could go through every scripture that they use and we could show how it is taken out of context and how it's twisted and what it originally meant to say. And that takes a lot of time, a lot of time. Uh, If you notice today, I haven't really gone to any of the scriptures that they use and gone through an exegesis of how to properly interpret that scripture. That's going to just eat up all our time. But there there are two main, really kind of what I would call my knockdown arguments to the Word of Faith movement. The first one comes from um, recognizing their main teaching, their main focus, is that health and wealth for the believer are purchased in the atonement so they belong to you right now. You should have health and you should have wealth because Jesus died on the cross and purchased them for you. Now, is that right or is it wrong? Yes. They have some things right. That's what makes this a sellable gospel. Jesus did purchase for us health in the atonement and wealth. What else did he purchase for us? He purchased for us salvation from sin. Who's completely free from sin today? Anybody? No? Not me either. He, he purchased for us a new resurrected body. Anybody have one of those yet? No? You'd know if I had one, I'd be growing hair on top of my head and it wouldn't be gray. And you'd be able to look around and some of these young guys would have like full epic beards. That would be resurrection body stuff right there. Instead of those little spotty things they got going on out there. <clears throat> no, we don't have our resurrection bodies yet. We don't, we're not free from sin yet. These things are purchased for us, but we don't get them until the resurrection. And here's the text I go to um, to show them this. In Hebrews Chapter 11, if you're familiar with Hebrews 11 at all, this is called the, the, hall of, the Faith Hall of Fame, right? This is the most taught out of chapter in the Bible by word of faith teachers. I, I mean, when I was in school, I had an entire semester, one class for an entire semester that taught from this chapter only, just like Hall of Fame of Faith. This is our chapter. Years later, like just years and years, probably 20 years after I got out of that school, I was reading through this chapter, and these, this, these last two verses in the chapter, they just appeared out of nowhere. They'd never been there before, I, I swear, because I had never heard anybody teach on these last two verses. There's a reason. I'll read what these last two verses say. And all these, talking about those heroes of faith, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Did you catch that? They did not receive what was promised. So the actual hero of faith is someone who believes God's promises and does not receive them in this life. Yeah, we will have healthy bodies in the resurrection when we're with all these saints. 
all these heroes of faith. We will walk on streets paved with gold because money will be so worthless to us. The word of faith teaching has it right that we are promised those things. Where they have it wrong is the timing of when these things happen. And that would be my first thing to point out to somebody in the word of faith movement. One of the reasons I'm teaching this today is not because I fear that most of you will be persuaded by the word of faith teaching. I think we have a, a good group of solid Bible-believing uh, people in here that are not going to be swayed by these foolish things. But most of you will run into someone who is swayed by these things, and I want you to be equipped to help them. So first, we can go to Hebrews 11, last two verses, show them that the promises, yes, they are yes and amen in Christ, one of their favorite verses. Amen, hallelujah, we have the promises. And we will believe God for them until we die. And praise God, I just want to throw in here, God still heals people today. I don't have to believe that God doesn't heal anybody or God doesn't provide for people. He's doing that all the time. We just had Caitlin up here and prayed for her. We've been praying for her healing and, and for the doctors to do their job and do a good job. Right? We believe God will heal and can heal. We just don't put a time limit on it. Sometimes God heals people today. Sometimes he waits until the resurrection. That's God's prerogative. <clears throat> the, the second way that we confront the word of faith teaching uh, might be a little bit surprising, um, but I believe it is the opposite truth. Uh, the opposite of this lie uh, is an opposite truth. Um, and I probably wouldn't just come across this by thinking about it. Um, I, I, I come here from my own experience, which is fallible, and I can misinterpret. We want to come at things from the Word of God, of course. But as I've come out of the Word of Faith movement, um, I've listened to and read books from a lot of other people who have come out of the Word of Faith movement, and they all say the same thing. That like me, what eventually brought them out of this false teaching was running into the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. I believe that the opposite of the word of faith movement is the sovereignty of God. Because if you think about it, the word of faith movement is based on I too can be like God, the original lie from the Garden of Eden. I am like God. And the sovereignty of God doctrine says, oh no, there's only one God and he's in control, and you're not. He's in charge, and you are not. I'm going to read a couple of verses. Isaiah 49, or 46, 9 through 11. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand, I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, I will bring it to pass, I have purposed, and I will do it. 
this is the God of the Bible. This does not sound like a God who's standing up in heaven going, oh man, I, I really want to bless you, but if you just believe the right things and say the right things, then maybe I'd be able to. You're, you're holding me back. That's the God of the word of faith teaching. No, this is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is sovereign and powerful and accomplishes what he wants to accomplish. If he wants to bless me, he will bless me. If he wants to heal me, he will heal me. Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verses like these blew my mind up. I have to give a little bit of story here. I, I try not to give too much of my story because I could, I could tell you story after story on every one of these points and we could spend hours. Uh, but for me, uh, we hit, and I've, I've probably shared some of this before, we hit a real low point in about 2008. We were broke. We were devastated. Uh, all my faith was in the word of faith teaching. Uh, I was trying to make it work. Nothing was going right. And we hit rock bottom. And it was at that time when we hit rock bottom, I was going to church, and the pastor started teaching a little series on the sovereignty of God and the doctrines of grace. And I reacted to it like a cat getting sprayed with water. I hated it. And I was bound and determined. I was going to get in the word of God and I was going to prove this guy wrong. There's no way that this stuff is right. I know I have power in my words. I know I create my destiny. So I got in the word. And I spent three years studying the doctrines of God's sovereignty. And one day, when I finally got to that point, of recognizing I've been wrong my whole life and God is sovereign. I was driving home from work, coming down Parley's just past Lamb's Canyon and I just broke and tears flooding out of my face. I cried out, God, you are sovereign. You saved me. You did it all. All of my past was in your plan, in your purpose worked out according to your will. You know what happened that day? The huge weight that was on my shoulders that I've been carrying for years, that it's all my fault. My wife being in pain was my fault. That sickness in my wife's body was my fault. That my kids being born early or miscarriages or financial woes, it was all my fault for not having enough faith. That just gone lifted off me. I was free. It was the best day of my whole life. Best feeling ever. Well, I shouldn't say best day of my life. You know, weddings and kids' births and stuff like that. We're supposed to say those are best. Um, <clears throat> but what happened? The sovereignty of God and the word of faith doctrine are at odds. They do not combine. They do not mix and you can tell when you meet somebody who's in the word of faith movement, if you just bring up God's sovereignty, they will react 
badly. And that's the time to just press softly and gently like several people in my life did for me over the three years that I struggled with this. Just press. This is what the Bible says. Look at how do you deal with these verses? Find those verses in your Bible that are all over the place talking about the sovereignty of God and how he is uh, over all. Proverbs 16, uh, 33 talks about how God is over chance in the roll of a die. You roll a die and it comes up as a six, you know it's a one in six chance, right? No, the Bible says God ordained that to come up that way. That's what the Bible says. Proverbs 21, 1, God is sovereign over human will. Right? The, the king's heart is, in, is like a stream of water in the hand of God. And he makes it go whatever way he will. The most powerful man on earth, his will is under the supreme rule and governing of God. So is mine, so is yours. The word of faith movement cannot handle a sovereign God. <clears throat> so I want to leave, we, leave you with a biblical view of faith and health and wealth, which most of you probably already have. Faith is simple. Faith is trust. And when it comes to your health and when it comes to your wealth, it is really this simple. Trust God. The Bible tells us to work hard and, and be wise with our money, yes. We should save money and leave money to our kids, yeah. But whether you're doing well or you're struggling financially, trust God. That's faith. That's, it's that simple. Just trust him. When I realized this, oh, I, I've slept more in the past 10 years than I did in my whole life. It's been great. I can go to bed at night, broke as can be, and just, God, you got this. I can trust you. The irony of the word of faith movement is it causes people to lack faith. They lack the real faith in the real God who is actually in control and can actually do stuff. <clears throat> the reality of this world is you will have trials. You will have suffering. You will have pain. Those are not fun things to say. But Jesus said them, John 16, in this world you will have trouble and suffering. And what glorifies God is not when Christians avoid suffering and avoid poverty. It's when they rejoice through suffering and poverty because their joy comes from the Lord and not from their circumstance. That's what glorifies God. That's what brings him praise. If I could sum up the word of faith teaching in one pithy phrase, it would be this. The chief end of God is to glorify me and enjoy me forever. You might recognize that from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's supposed to go, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Word of faith teaching has it absolutely backwards because it's all about me But in wealth or in poverty, we should trust God who owns it all. Again, verse six, godliness with contentment is great gain. 
We must, as Christians, resist the worldly lust for more and more and more. There's a worldly lust. Being content with what God has given us is maybe one of the hardest things Christians are called to do, especially in America, where it's all about bigger, better, more. Christians should stand out in this world as content, happy in the place God has put them. For those who are blessed with wealth and who God has given more money to, I want to point out two things. From our text in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verse Where did it go? Um, there it is, verse 10. Verse 10 has often been taken out of context and people have said money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's not what it says. It's the love of money that is the root of all, a root of all kinds of evil. If God has blessed you with wealth, simple, don't love your money. Love your God who has blessed you. Paul gives more instruction later on in this chapter in verse 17. I'm going to read verses 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. In other words, they could go away any day. Don't trust your riches. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, they are to do good, be rich in good works, be generous, and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. The Word of Faith teaching loves to point out the great vast number of verses in the Bible that are about money and how much God cares about money. What they fail to point out is that most of them are a warning to people who have money against loving their money or against collecting too much riches. Money has a way of turning our hearts away from God. So to those who have been blessed by God financially, I would say, keep your eyes on the Savior. Keep your eyes on God. Use your money as a tool to further his kingdom. Thank him every day for what he's blessed you with. I want to close with... Um, a passage, leave you with this from uh, the book of Jude, chapter 1, because there's only one, <clears throat> verses 22 to 23. Jude is a polemical message like this one, where he is attacking false teachers and false teaching. <clears throat> and this is what he says in verses 22 and 23 Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. I want you to think about these three different ways to help people who are caught in the word of faith doctrines. Number one, those who are in doubt, have mercy on them. Not berate them or belittle them or make fun of them, but have mercy on them. Second category, 
save others by snatching them out of the fire. What does this mean? When you see someone who has believed the word of faith gospel and they're in trouble, right? Health is not working out the way it was supposed to or finances are not working out the way they're supposed to. They're, they're in the fire. The Bible says snatch them out of the fire. How do we do that? We bring them truth. We love them, care for them, plead with them. Look at what the word of God says. Snatch them out of the fire. That is to save them from destruction. The last category, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. This is a group of people who are more obstinate and stubborn that we need to be more harsh with and hate even a garment stained by the flesh. That means we just don't even put up with the slightest error. Keep in mind these three categories when dealing with people who are in false doctrine and false teaching. All of them have the aspect of showing mercy. When you run into a friend or someone who is caught up in a teaching like the word of faith, the important thing to remember is mercy. These people need mercy. They need God's grace. They need to be snatched from the fire. They need to be helped. And I implore you today to help them. Um, number one, of course, don't yourself be deceived by this uh, terrible false doctrine. It is destructive. But more than that, watch for these people. You will surely come across them and help them have mercy on them. Bring them the truth. Uh, don't just think, oh, they'll see one day. <laughs> it could destroy their faith, ruin their life for eternity. Um, a sober message, but I think hopefully a helpful uh, and an important one in today's church. Uh, pray with me as we close. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for instruction in doctrine and in life and in truth. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you lead us into truth and, and protect us from error? Uh, we sometimes, I think, get this idea that we are undeceivable, but Lord, without your grace, we would all be so deceived. Lord, protect us, save us from error, and help us live in the light of your truth. For our friends who are deceived by the word of faith message and the, and the false beliefs that go with, with that, would you, would you snatch them out of the fire? Would you help us to bring loving and good words of mercy to them and, and direct them to your truth? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.